back to another episode. Today, we're joined by Ashley Bernardi, the author of the new book, Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel. Ashley has been a veteran newsbooker and producer with The Early Show on CBS News, Energy Now, and The Washington Post Live, and is frequently featured in Forbes, Great Day Washington, and Good Day DC. Having been through her fair share of traumas, she's emerged as a voice of reason and strength. She carries with her incredible and important insights into navigating difficult emotions and presents easy-to-digest tactics that anyone can implement. I hope you'll stick around. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is Bed Letter. If you enjoy the show, the best way to show your support is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. You'll be kept up to date on all new episode releases, as well as columns I write on a wide range of topics. There's a lot to check out, and it's all over there. Another great way to help out is by sharing this episode with someone you know who you think might find it interesting. One share goes a long way. The links to the Substack, my Twitter profile, and Ashley's new book, Authentic Power, and everything else can be found in the description of this episode. I should note before we dive in, I listed the release date of Ashley's new book as November 23rd at the outset of our interview. The date has since been moved, and Ashley's new book will be released on December 7th of this year, 2021. I hope you enjoy our discussion. All right, so it is my pleasure to welcome Ashley Bernardi onto the show today. Uh, Ashley is the founder and director of media relations at Nardi Media and author of the new book, Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel, which is available for purchase on November 23rd. Ashley has also been a veteran newsbooker and producer with The Early Show on CBS News, Energy Now, and The Washington Post Live and is frequently featured in Forbes, Great Day Washington, and Good Day DC. She also has a podcast you can find called Two Girls Talking. Incredibly, she's a survivor of previous trauma and PTSD, postpartum depression, and Lyme disease, as well as being an expert in media relations, storytelling, journalism, entrepreneurship, and well-being, just to name a few. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Christian. I am so excited to be here and dive into this conversation. Yeah, so um, your book is called Authentic Power, uh, Give Yourself Permission to Feel. I thought we could start off by having you explain kind of what authentic power really is, because this idea that true strength lies within each of us, regardless of how crazy or messy our lives are, I think that's really important. Yeah, that's thank you for opening up with that question. And authentic power is something that I have spent 25 years searching for in my life. Um, it's really about accessing that wisdom within and, and quieting yourself, listening and allowing yourself, giving your permission, giving yourself permission to listen and acknowledge and process those feelings. And even if they're uncomfortable, messy feelings, those feelings that come up. And I say that because those feelings are there for a reason. And um, I learned this the hard way. I learned this by um, suppressing uncomfortable, messy emotions such as grief, trauma, uh, PTSD, postpartum depression for years, almost actually 25 years to be exact. And once I started healing and going on my healing journey, 
I found that by acknowledging these messy, uncomfortable feelings, therein lies my healing. Therein lies my access to what I call my authentic power, which is my inner wisdom. So by feeling these uncomfortable, messy feelings, it clears the cloud to the clears the fog to really find out your true self, your authentic power, the wisdom that you already have had and that I've had within me this entire time. It was just really, really foggy and suppressed. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really cool. I think um, just makes me think of recently I went to a, uh, I had, I went to this camp that is, it's a youth camp for specifically for children who have lost a immediate family member. It's kind of this grief counseling camp. And it's, it it was incredible to me to see how they used that grief and those, those, those emotions, those extremely strong emotions to kind of, um, well, first of all, to, to feel what they deserve to feel and not, not just to bury it and say, I'm strong. I can do whatever, you know, I can, I can push through this, but actually to like, you know, cry and to be open and vulnerable and and talk about those things. So I really think that that's that navigating those, that difficult, those difficult emotions is incredibly important. Oh, I I love, can I just say, I love hearing you say that you went to a grief counseling camp for children. Um, You know, that is something that I didn't have access to as a child who suffered from a traumatic loss. Um, And it's just amazing to hear that that, those resources are available now. I definitely think that we talk about mental health uh, a lot more now than we did when I was a child, um, which was, you know, in the nineties. It's just incredible to hear that. I just got chills. So I just want to, I want to say that, that it's just awesome to hear that you were helping out doing that too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an, it was an incredible opportunity and I haven't, it was awesome because I, I haven't personally lost, you know, a very close family member. myself, my, my mom, my, my, I don't have any grandpas, but they all passed away kind of when I was either really, really little or before I was even born. And, um, and so I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really relate specifically to, you know, what they were going through, but it was, it was just amazing to see these, these kids who were in the camp was for kids that were like ages eight to up to, you know, 17. And so it was amazing to see how strong some of these kids really were. Um, given the face of just being dealt the worst hand you could even imagine. So, um, yeah, I love seeing that we have those resources too. It was something that changed my life, just seeing all of it. Oh yeah. I I can only imagine it. If I had had those resources when I, um, lost my father, I might not have gone through my 25 years of finding my authentic power. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the authentic power really reminds me of that camp because that's something that they talk about a lot. Um, it's just this idea of, of you have it within you to kind of to do this, but we're not going to get through doing this without addressing the the nitty gritty stuff that you're that you're kind of initial reaction would be to bottle up. So, yep. oh, yeah. So, Ashley, you you have so many incredible accomplishments already. Um, you know, you have a media company, a family, this impactful look on life, um, so many great connections that you've made. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit of your own story uh, more in depth in dealing with the trauma and how it's yeah. kind of led you to where you are today. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. Um, so my, my trauma, my life changed. Uh, I, I grew up as a, a normal kid, a very happy kid with two loving parents, a, my, a father who was in the military and 
was an army colonel and a, a, a colonel's wife. My mom, also an entrepreneur, owned a dance school. And um, when I was 11 years old, my life was turned upside down drastically and forever. And um, for someone who has been through trauma and anyone who's listening who has been through trauma, you can probably relate to this, but like my memories of my before my trauma are very few because it's your, your, um, and I've learned about this in therapy. It's like kind of your body's way of helping process what you went through. But, um, when I was 11 years old, um, my father died of a sudden death heart attack at home. And I was there, my sister was there, my mom was there. Um, the last words that I ever said to him were, I, I actually had tucked him in that night, um, because he was tired and, I said, I love you, dad. And he said, I love you too, sweetie. And that was it. Um, I went to bed and didn't, I hadn't fallen asleep yet. It was about five minutes later. Um, my, my mom um, went into my parents' bedroom and just started yelling. And my dad was unresponsive. And my sister was nine. I was 11. I ran to the telephone. We didn't have cell phones. This was 1995 and called 911. My sister, my nine-year-old sister ran to my mom and helped administer CPR on my father at nine years old. Um, while I was calling the ambulances, running to get help, I called 911. I ran out to our neighbors. I had them come in. And that, that was like, at that moment, I think I just blacked out. That was like enough trauma for me. And um, the next moment I remember was being in a really beautiful hospital room uh, with my sister and a bunch of other family members around us. Thankfully, we um, lived in the Washington, D.C. area where with plenty of family around. Um, and this was, you know, late in the evening. And I was wondering where my mom was, wondering where my dad was. And my mom and my aunt, my dad's sister, were gone. And suddenly she had, she came into the room with some doctors and nurses and my aunt and said that my dad had passed. And I just can't imagine having to be a mother to tell her two little girls that, you know, you, you, you did a great job trying to save your dad's life, but there's just nothing we could have done to save him. Mm -hmm. So, um, that is where my life began again. And, uh, I went through Oh gosh, grief, just such, such despair and grief, but to the point where I was not even allowing myself to feel it. I didn't want to feel my grief. Um, I don't think that my, we had the resources, honestly, and I don't blame my mom or anybody else. I just don't think that, um, our culture and our society was in the place that it is now in addressing trauma and grief for young children. So as an example, you know, a week after the funeral, I was sent right back to school. Things were right back to normal um, when really I was feeling anything but normal. I didn't feel safe anymore anywhere in, in school, at home. I thought everyone around me was going to die. I developed an extreme anxiety disorder. Uh, this one particularly focused around my sister where I thought I was going to lose her next. So um my mind was constantly in fight or fight and survival mode because I was just waiting for somebody else to die. Um, and I really went through the next several years of my life with that feeling, but that feeling I would also suppress and just act like everything was fine. I would put on that mask of strength, like, well, I'm an army colonel's daughter 
a Vietnam, he was a Vietnam War vet. I'm going to honor my dad by I'm going to be strong. And it's interesting that like the book is called Authentic Power, but my first title of the book was not so strong because I, despite putting on that mask of strength, I felt anything but strong. I actually, you know, they say that saying fake it until you make it. And I say this in my book. I don't agree with that at all. If if mm-hmm. like why fake it if you're not feeling strong? Why fake happiness if you're not feeling happy? Why suppress grief if you just want to grieve and cry for the loss of of someone so dear to you? So I didn't do any of that. I suppressed everything. Like I said, I didn't know or have the resources. I was a, I was a child. I just thought I needed to be strong like my dad. So um I had a very difficult middle school as a result of that. And uh, when I got to high school, I had gotten so good at suppressing my feelings. I started to feel a little bit normal again. Interestingly enough, I would never talk about my father. I would never talk about his death. My friends, my first boyfriend never even knew that I had a dad that passed away. I never talked about it. It wasn't until somebody on my dance team found out and then like, oh, did you guys know Ashley's dad died? Didn't talk about it. Didn't address it through college, et cetera. Um, and then once I got my first job, I was actually a broadcast associate at CBS News. I, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I became addicted to work. <laughs> and that's actually, you know, a, a, a survival mechanism. This is mm. I was masking and bearing uh, what I was truly feeling, which was grief despair, trauma, PTSD. I wasn't addressing any of my emotions. I had on and off therapy over the years, but did not talk about it. I was at no help to my therapist. I just was um, a turtle with his head in, in, in the shell, not wanting to speak about it. So fearful that of what would happen if I started to try to process it. And, uh, and so I became addicted to work. And as a result, I also um, formed some pretty other destructive uh, habits, such as uh, over drinking alcohol, uh, I would say probably calling it binge drinking, my work addiction, people pleasing, lack of boundaries, I wanted to please everyone around me, I had very destructive relationships, because I was destroying myself, like I hold myself accountable for um, everything and everyone that I manifested in my life, and it was destructive. And uh, I went on like this for years and years, even after I I moved back down to DC to be a a TV journalist again, and I love my job. I love my career. But you know, like I said, like my work was an addiction to numbing and suppressing my real feelings. So um, even still, I was able to uh, fall in love with an amazing man, happily married. We had two happy children, and a third one on the way. And uh, as soon as the third one was born, that is when my health just crashed. It was like my body said to me, you are done faking it. You are done suppressing. There is no much, there is no more physical energetic room in your body to mask what you have been masking to everyone for the past 25 years. And I truly mean this when I say I almost died. It was discovered after I had my third baby that I also had Lyme disease that had gone undiagnosed for, um, for almost two years. And I had had some health issues, but it wasn't until she was born, my body said, you're done. 
And uh, I, I had, I became so sick. And when I, when I described um, this sickness, it was, um, I had encephalitis, I had neurological Lyme disease, I lost feeling in my limbs and my arms, I couldn't walk, I couldn't care for my children, I was having fainting spells, I was having dizzy spells, um, I lost control of my bowels, I mean, it was, doctors just did not know what to do with me, interestingly enough, I wasn't even diagnosed with Lyme disease for several months um, after she was born. I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, uh, of course, put in a part-time mental health facility to address the postpartum depression. And But still, I felt like I had the flu every day. I couldn't function. My husband was taking my kid, our three children over to his parents because their mom was so sick. I, I couldn't even get out of bed. And I will never forget in... In this this one day after a hospital visit, I had been, I had been taken by ambulance from the doctor's office um, to Sibley Hospital in D.C. because I had lost complete control of my bowels. I couldn't see. I couldn't talk. I basically my body stopped functioning. My mom was with me. She said she's like I thought you were going to die that day. Um, I came home and I just surrendered. I was like, okay, God, you got my attention. <laughs> take me now because I'm done with this life. I'm like, whatever is happening, I don't want to go on. Um, or show me the way to healing. And that's when, when I surrendered and, and this was a very spiritual experience for me. I surrendered everything, all the emotions that I had been bearing since the loss of my father in 1995. And I was like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Because it was in my sick sickest when all those, the trauma started bubbling up. It had to come out. It was physically like I was, <laughs> it was almost like an exorcism of emotions and, mm -hmm. and, it, and they came and they started coming out. So I'll say this healing was the most excruciating, the slowest process ever, but the most necessary process. I now call mm -hmm. Lyme disease my gift of Lyme, because if I had not had that, I would have continued to go on and suppress myself. And I will say this now in the year 2021, I am a completely different person than I was five years ago. Um, I was a people pleaser. I had no boundaries. I masked all my emotions. I didn't talk about my true feelings. I didn't process my grief. I didn't process any uncomfortable emotion that I had. And now I do. And I am healthier, more vibrant and happier than I've ever been. And I'm continuing to, in a very safe and healthy way, process the grief and loss of my father. Here I am 25 years later, still working through it, but in such a beautiful way where I'm honoring his memory, but also daily honoring the sadness and like the feelings of missing him. And if I feel I'm missing him, I acknowledge that and I cry and I let it out because my body needs it. So that's a very long story, uh, maybe a long short story of my, my life trauma, but I'm here today to say, I'm doing great because of the healing work that I've done. Absolutely. No, I think, uh, you know, things like that deserve to be told in long stories because it's, I don't know. I think that's incredible. I think that's an incredible story. I, it makes me think of, uh, I don't know. I'm a firm believer that the kind of the crap that happens in our life, um, is there for a reason. And, 
um, sometimes it's because it, it's got to stop you dead in the tracks and say, you need to, something needs to change because something isn't right. Right. Um, I remember, uh, someone once told me about this book and I haven't purchased the book or read the book. So maybe I shouldn't talk about it much, but, uh, it was basically the, the idea behind this book was, um, the title of, it, I believe is called the body keeps count or something oh, like yes. that. Yes. I've heard of that book too, but I haven't read it. Body keeps score. Yeah. Body keeps score. Body keeps score. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And and it, it's kind of this idea that like physically, you know, the, the stress and all the stuff like builds up inside your body and you have and it and it, it keeps account of all these traumas and and stresses and all this stuff. And eventually it's it you can't just keep count forever. There's a there is a ceiling and and you know, judging by the story you've told, it it can definitely be reached. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, it makes me my my one of my grandpas passed away before I was born. He he died from cancer, and um, my mom told me once that one thing he kind of lived by, and one thing he said towards the end when it was he he had cancer for like fifteen years before he died. It was just always an ongoing battle, and he had said that he if he if he had the option to take it back, he ne- he wouldn't he wouldn't take it back. He wouldn't you know, get rid of the cancer. Um, if you could go back all that time, if that was even possible. And I remember when I heard that for the first time, it struck me. And when my mom, who was, I think 15 or 16 at the time, when she heard that it struck her as, cause you know, our, our initial reaction would be to, Oh my gosh, like how, how could you No, you'd want to get rid of it. You'd want to live a full life and, and not die, you know, in your fifties or whatever. And, and all this. And, and I've always kind of lived with that that little tidbit. I've always kind of felt like it's one of the best pieces of advice that he gave to me, which I wasn't even alive when he said it, but um, one of the best pieces of advice is just to like own the crap that happens in your life because it has something that's going to help you probably down the road. And, you know, it's good to, good to value those things. It's not fun going through them, but no, you know, but it is what it is. It's, I agree with your grandpa. I think those are such beautiful words of wisdom. I feel the same way about Lyme disease. You know, it, everyone's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You went through that. It sounds terrible. I'm like, I am so glad I went through that. I actually, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I wouldn't take it back. I would not take Lyme disease back because that was my wake up call to, and I, in many ways I see it as, you know, maybe it's, if people want to call it like a higher power or the universe, whatever they believe in, it's like, I believe that that was energetically my body and the universe saying like, wake up, Ashley, you've got a lot of healing to do. You can't keep going on like Mm -hmm. this. And I was so blessed to given the opportunity to change course and, and discover what true powerful healing looked like. And it was definitely not a one size fits all approach. It was a Mm -hmm. try a lot of different things and see what works for you. And actually to this day, healing has still happened for me. And that I find that when I fall back with, it could be my self-care, my therapy, other things, my diet, that I start getting at like edgy again. And I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. got to turn course. Don't want to go back to my Lyme disease day. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just such a beautiful wisdom that your grandfather shared. He sounds like a wise man. Yeah. I, I have been told he was. So (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, it's good to have those wake up calls, even, even though sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it's not so fun. Um, 
So speaking specifically to the idea of, I mentioned earlier, you have, you know, a lot of great connections. Um, So speaking specifically to the idea of connection, you talk about how both, you know, connection with the self and with people in the world around you is so crucial. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me more about why it's so important to genuinely connect? Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. So um, a lot of this goes back to my career now as a publicist and entrepreneur. And you're right. I have, I am a, I am a people, I'm a connector. That's my like gift, but I, I found the, the power of connections in healing in a couple different ways. Um, I will say this healing or if, if you're going through any sort of trauma is so isolating and so lonely. I talk about this all the time in therapy with my therapist. Like it still felt so lonely. But when I started reaching out to friends, family members, members of my community to let them know what I was going through, rather than thinking I needed to go through it alone. So you'll recall, like with losing my dad, I do feel like I went through it alone because I didn't allow myself to talk about it because I felt that society didn't want to hear about it. With Lyme disease, I I felt like, all right, I'm going to experiment with this and I'm going to, I'm going to tell my friends what I'm going through. And I'm going to, I'm going to start talking about it more. And I did. And I'll never forget. I emailed a group of my high school friends and I was just like, please pray for me. And, uh, and I, here's what I'm going through. And suddenly there were like meals brought to my doorstep, phone calls being had, um, people texting me and saying, what can I do? Or, or even like, let's just talk and allowing me to create that safe space to just cry and be there. I, I never knew that something like that could be available to me. So, or, so organically without, you know, like thinking like, Oh, the only place for this is therapy. Right. You know, like you don't think of your friends. I mean, for me growing up, I didn't think of my friends as, an outlet is have having really safe, authentic and dark and hard conversations. But I learned that I was wrong. I learned that that was actually a great place to start. My husband and I, as a result, started having much deeper conversations about death, dying, spirituality. Um, where do we go when we die? I mean, it really started opening up the door to deeper my connection with him and our relationship. Also my connection with my children too, but going beyond that too, I also found a community of um, a church community. And for me, I joined my church choir while I was healing because singing to me was just an incredible healing modality. Um, My yoga studio. And then the other way of just having these incredible connections was as a publicist, I have access to, and I I, I had this like aha moment in my healing journey. I had access to to some of the greatest, most healing minds in the world. And I, Mm -hmm. in my book, I was like, wow, they have so many of them have helped me heal. And, and I've like shared them, my story with them. And the, I wanted to interview them for my book because I felt like I have these incredible resources. And, you know, Emma Seppala, who's a Stanford and Yale psychologist, she wrote my Ford. I have multiple ER doctors, trauma survivors, um, master herbologists, spiritual mentors that have helped me along the way who have been my clients. And I, and I felt it so um, important that I share their wisdom with the world and with my readers through this book too. So just the power of connection and, and like me not even realizing I had it until I was sitting down and I was like, wait a second, 
I know a bunch of healers who can help me. They're my clients. Like sometimes you just don't even think about it. Um, so yes, mm-hmm. the power of connection, connection with self is also so, so important too. I talk about that in my book. Like I did say like being, being, going through trauma is very, very isolating, but it's in those times that I find that in the quiet, when you can connect to yourself through things that I call sacred writing, which is journaling anything that's on your mind, doing so in at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. You don't have to share it with anyone. You can burn it if you want. You can rip it up if you want. But getting it what's in your brain out on paper is so healing and a, an incredible way to connect with yourself and really get into your subconscious to see what's happening within you versus the monkey mind that we're all facing. Um, so that's mm-hmm. just one example of connecting with self and then just connecting with others. And even like daily now, I have so many friends that I call upon and I've made so many new friends by sharing my healing journey of people who have been like, Ashley, I'm, I'm going through this too. I'm going through postpartum depression. I'm going through Lyme disease. Will you talk to me? And I'm like, yes, let's do this. Let's talk about it. Because I think the problem in our society is that we, you know, like social media, you get all the high rate highlight reels of everyone's lives. And mm-hmm. I always, like, I, I, I post on social media, but I always remind myself that this is not real. This is not real life. This is fake. Like, yes, here are the cute highlight reels of my kids, me and my husband on a date night, but you're not seeing the messy side of this at all. And so that's when I pick up a phone and like call a friend, audio text a friend and say, oh my God, I am really struggling today. Can you just send some like prayers and healing my way. And like the same thing, I have friends come to me and do that. And I'm like, I've got you friend. It's just the power of connection and picking up the phone and sharing what's on your heart to anyone else. It's just so healing. And you can see like, I'm smiling right now. It just brings me so much joy and just helps cultivate those really incredible, authentic relationships. Absolutely. I, uh, I really like this point because I think it's been this connection idea, both within the self and, and, with other people is something that I've kind of been pulling to the forefront of my life lately, especially in the sense of connecting with others. Mm. Um, I'm someone who's, I, I, it's really easy for me to kind of like isolate a little bit. And I, I don't like, I'm not miserable when I'm by myself. I, I like being alone. Um, I call myself a, what is it? A, a, a introverted or an extroverted introvert like yeah. I love being I love being with people but it, it it takes the fuel down and when I'm by myself in nature or something like that I it refuels me and so I, I've gone on road trips and traveled and done tons of trips just by myself and and enjoyed them a lot um, but it's it's kind of a, a double-edged blade because it's really easy for me to fall into just always doing that and always relying on my own ability to, to do whatever and and you know not have and I love writing it's kind of my one of my biggest passions is writing and so it's easy to let that you know become something where I'm I'm writing something and I'm like this is good enough I don't need to have anybody else look at it or you know things like that and so um it's definitely the idea of connection is something that I've been trying to be a lot better about lately as because I mean even with the even with the show um a lot of my early episodes were just me and I always thought that's just what I'll, that'll, that's just how it's going to be. You know, I have my ideas and I'm going to talk about them and, and report on this and that and the other. And, and I've noticed as I've started trying to do more interviews and started trying to, um, talk to people more and include other people besides just my own voice on the show, it's been like, it's, I feel like it's better content, but 
almost almost in like a weird selfish way. Like it helps me so much. Like I learn so much more about everything about about other people and why how diverse people really are and and if those connections are just they're beautiful and so i i definitely agree with you i think it's i think it's so important i love that it just it's i can relate to that too christian i am an introverted extrovert i get my energy from a certain other people and for a certain amount of time but i also refuel energy when i'm alone and like you i love writing and i could get in a silo of writing for hours and lose track of time and realize oh my god i haven't talked to anyone today and so you know and in my book so my dear friends chris winfield and jen gottlieb they are founders of super connector media like literally they are super connectors and i learned from them like chris Chris has a thing where it's called help one person every day. So like, think of like how you can connect with somebody and help that person every day or pick, pick, like make a goal to just like connect with a new person every day. Like today, my, my new connection is with you and this incredible conversation that we're having. And just think about like how much after we end this, um, and our interview today, it's hopefully it's definitely filling my cup up, hopefully yours. And we're learning about each other and we're having these meaningful conversations and also just relating to others. I feel like, um, just even connecting with others and sharing your openness and vulnerability gets you outside of your own world and your own head. Because oftentimes for somebody who's dealt with a trauma and I, anyone can relate to this, who's been through it. And I think especially everyone who's gone through the pandemic, but being in trauma, it's, it's, you're in your own silo. It's very, very alone. And it makes you feel like you're the only one experiencing it. And it's not Mm -hmm. until you start talking about it, that you find that trauma is actually global. We've all experienced it in some ways, whether you think so or not. Um, But the global pandemic is a trauma, is a collective trauma that we've all experienced that I think the world is still experiencing and still processing. Um, And so it's not until you really start talking to people and sharing your, what's on your heart, do you start learning that you're not so alone in this and that others are going through what you are and you could actually help each other out by sharing your stories? Yes, I I could not agree more, um, especially with the pandemic. It's an interesting point, just thinking about how it's like one of the first times and well, and, and, and I don't know, in, in recent history, at least where it's, it's, you know, it's something that is a trauma for ev- almost every person in the entire world um, is being affected by this somehow. I, I just did a, a interview with a uh, young woman who lives in Pakistan, and uh, I haven't released it yet, but it's it's so interesting seeing what she is going through over there with the restrictions and and her work schedule and how that all is playing out. And it's it's just it's crazy. I mean, that's the other side of the world, and they're still dealing with and they're dealing with some things that are so similar to what we're having to deal with and and kind of get through and, you know, schools being canceled and having to deal with, with homeschooling in some cases and all, all these different things that we're, everybody's having to navigate kind of in the same, at the same time. So. Yeah. So true. And it's like, look at this, she's across the world and we're, we have these similar shared experiences. Yeah, ex- exactly. It's incredible. Um, and, and in being vocal about those, I like that point too, that, that being vocal is it kind of gives this moment where you see somebody that has the same issue as you or is going through similar things and they're far away. And it's kind of like a, uh, you know, you're not happy that they're, that they're suffering. I mean, you're not happy that you're suffering either, but it's almost like a breath of, 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 of 
fresh air almost or or in a sense like a solidarity type thing where it's like oh man okay i'm not i'm not by myself in all this like there is there's things that we can glean from each other yeah exactly and i think that's it's like we can support each other through these hard times but i also like in in saying that i also caution about where you are spending your energy like where you think you might get help not might not be the right place or connection for you and one thing i Mm -hmm. describe in my book is that i did at one point join a lyme disease support group because i felt like i needed to just get some connections and support around that but i found that the group was not serving my healing it might have been serving theirs Mm -hmm. but i felt that um there was a lot of victim mindset going on and i was like no 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 no. i want to be around people who have healed i want to be around people who are like wanting to heal as opposed to complaining about ailments and so i left the group and i was like you i wish you all the best of luck i will pray for you all I need to, I'm going to leave this group now. And so, and that's something, you know, learning about boundaries and, and drawing Mm -hmm. the line somewhere where you feel that there not, might not be an energetic fit is something I've learned the hard way, but I got better about flexing that muscle as I began healing. And so, so you, yes, like be, just be mindful of, um, outlets that you are allowing yourself to enter into and the type of energy um, input or output that you might be receiving? Is it energetically draining for you? Does it feel like it's the right fit or the wrong fit? Pay attention to what that authentic power, your inner wisdom is telling you about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I really like that idea of, of energetic fit. That's that's well put, I think. That sums up a very kind of big idea that's difficult to handle, like conceptualize in very simple terms. I really like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So um, moving into another thing, another question for you. So in chapter three of your book, you tease apart this idea that I absolutely love. Um, you call it getting primal with your meltdowns. Oh, yeah. Let's um, go. <laughs> <laughs> a few, so a few years ago, I worked at a treatment center for, bo- for teenage boys, uh, different from the, from the camp thing from earlier. Um, I worked at this treatment center uh, in college where they're, they're teenage boys. So, so there's tons of emotions, right? I mean, tons of emotions. Um, and those boys uh, needed to have this this type of primal outlet, a sort of like energy release, right? And so the therapists there at this treatment center, I, you know, they're good therapists, but I always took kind of issue with some of their approaches to the boys intense emotions their methods would always have the boy journaling or writing through you know or or writing through some emotional like stock worksheet um which is good as well but um you know their goal was to get the boys to learn to control themselves and not act out um and we would go to the gym and many of the mentors and therapists at this place would uh wouldn't allow the boys to uh, they had like a punching bag there. They wouldn't allow them to hit the back ever mm-hmm. because they thought it would teach the boys that, you know, physical reactions to emotions or physical aggression to emotions is is okay. Um, and I've kind of always felt like people kind of similarly to what we were talking about earlier, they need to fill uh, kind of, they, you know, for, for, well, for lack of a better term, they need to fill the shit that they're going through, mm-hmm. right? Uh, those boys are entitled to their emotions. And that was always a point I brought up when I would talk to them. They're entitled to, and they deserve to feel the way that they feel, especially being far away from home and having to deal with all the stuff that they were dealing with. I mean, suicide, drug issues, depression, anxiety, you name it, they had it. Um, so obviously, it's, they, you know, we don't want to teach them to punch other boys. That's not the correct reaction. But they can be taught that punching a bag or um, other other 
physical outlets can be a very good way of re- relieving like really acute stress. Um, so kind of going off that personal story, I was wondering if you could explain what this idea of getting primal with your meltdowns is and why it's necessary. Oh, I love that question. And and that's a, you know, you, I think you set it up with a great um, description and story of, of the group of boys that you were dealing with. So um, I learned how to stress hard, stress off, which is like dealing with our primal emotions through Dr. Jamie Hope, who is an ER doctor that I interviewed for my book, who was introduced to me by a very, very dear friend of mine. And we talked about um, how, as you know, when we were in the prehistoric caveman age, as primarily, what would we do if we were upset? We would hit our chest, we would scream, right? Like maybe we would throw something or punch something. Like this is a nat- we are human beings. This is a natural thing um, and release for us as a way to express and process our emotions. And there, it's possible to do this in a healthy way. Certainly not punching somebody is the way to do it. So mm-hmm. Dr. Hope has a couple examples that she gave me that I was like, whoa, I love this. So the first one is called dish therapy. And I have never tried this, but I want to try this. I have a backyard where I can safely try it. But it's where you have a trash can, like one of those like metal trash cans, and you get a bunch of like old dishes, Salvation Army, like actually have dishes literally sitting right here in my office that are ready for dish therapy. I just have it. They're like a pile right here. And you just take those dishes and you smash them in your trash can. And she says, you know, you might want to wear goggles and just make sure if you have neighbors, you give them a heads up that you're going to do this. Like, it is the most satisfying thing. And she's an ER doctor during COVID. So she was like, really, really, really stressed. And she told me, Ashley, the most satisfying thing is dish therapy. And I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. I'm ready. Let's do this. So that's one way that we can stress hard, right? So she, what she recommends and what I've included in the book is a stress hard and a stress soft toolkit. So you have a way to access and deal with your primal emotions. I'll never forget as a child. Also, I remember there was one time, one time in, in my, um, process of like healing before I went through my Lyme disease trauma that I let myself primarily deal with my emotions of the loss of my dad. And I had come inside from trying to play with kids outside and just anger struck over me. And I shook my bedpost so hard that it broke. And I was like, oops. But then I remember saying, (laughs) that felt good. And and so using things, I'm not saying don't do that, but dish therapy, you could also get something that Dr. Hope calls a damn it doll. And it's just a soft doll that you can take and like hit against the wall or hit against your bed or just taking pillows and hitting them on your bed. Um, I'll say this, one of my favorite primal releases for releasing stress or any emotions is screaming screaming Mm -hmm. at the top of your lungs, just taking a deep breath and letting that scream out for me has been the most healing thing. Like I I don't know dish therapy yet, but like in a way of stressing hard, that primal scream, again, like if you're with neighbors or have roommates or kids, give them a heads up that you're going to be screaming, but it is (laughs) so freeing and releasing. Then of course there's ways to stress soft. And so there, you know, there's safe ways to stress soft. Like there could be journaling. It could be like taking a damn it doll and like hitting it against the wall. But Dr. Hope advises when you are feeling these messy and emotional, uncomfortable feelings bubble up, you can turn to your stress hard or stress soft toolkit to access your primal emotions and process 
those feelings. And I get, obviously I'm like getting very excited about it because I know it works, especially for me mm-hmm. screaming and what might work for me screaming might not work for you, but I recommend trying some of these things, screaming, a damadol, hitting a pillow, dish therapy to see what works for you. But also notice how you feel afterwards. It's very yeah. satisfying. Yeah, <clears throat> no, I love that. I, I am, I would be a huge proponent of, of this, of this type of thing. I think that I, cause I do this exact thing. I, the screaming one, I, I actually 100% can relate to. Um, <laughs> I, it's definitely one that, that I've used in the past, uh, always in the front seat of my car every time is, <laughs> is where it is and not, not road rage at anybody else, but just usually at my situation or whatever stress is happening. Um, cause it's kind of an enclosed space where, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, after in the middle of college or actually right in the beginning of college. So I was 18, 18 years old. Um, I graduated from, from high school. And then in that, that summer before, actually, I think it was one year into college. Um, so I was probably more like 19 years old, but my, I was going to school in the same town where I was, uh, born and raised in, in Logan, Utah. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, as, as school was ending, my, my family had decided to move to Georgia. So across the entire country. And I wanted to go to school in, I thought I wanted to go to school in Georgia. And one thing led to another, I ended up going to school, maintaining going to school at, at, at uh, Utah state. And so I stayed and it was kind of a flip instead of me leaving for college, my family all left and I stayed <laughs> and went to college. And we had a, we had a small family business at that time and that I was running and, uh, or that I, that I started kind of taking on a lot more responsibility when they left. And, uh, and it, it, it was like such a difficult time for me because I felt like it was a time, it's a pretty formative moment, um, in life. You know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. I was trying to figure out what career I wanted to do and, switching back and forth and left and right. And I, uh, had this whole business thing to, I thought that that I felt was like resting on my shoulders in reality. It wasn't, it wasn't that big of a thing when you look at the whole picture, but, um, you know, I felt like, you know, the, the, my family's little business thing we had was resting on my shoulders and I need to make sure it continues. And I had this relationship at the time that wasn't all that great. And, there was just so many things and I used that screaming technique so many times <laughs> at that time. And it really does work. Like it seriously does work. Um, and, and I, I've used it, I've used it before and I've lost my voice from it, but you know, I, it's definitely, it's definitely something that, uh, I think that I, I am a huge proponent for another thing that I, that kind of, it just made me think is, um, I like doing, I like going on runs. I like going on jogs a lot um, and doing physical exercise. And, and I've always noticed, like I notice a distinct difference between pre-jog me and post-jog me. Like if I have anger, uh, anxiety, any, you know, whatever it is, just stress from whatever building up. If I go on that jog afterwards, I'm clearer. I have better intention. I have, everything is just so much more calm because I, I feel like i've just worked it out through that physical exercise so i definitely like that the primal the primal and, and, uh, and i think that is one of your that's in your primal stress toolkit running it is for mm-hmm. me too i also think like going back to connections and since you're a runner and i love running running is such an incredible way to connect with self so for me it's it's, mm-hmm. it's often even a spiritual experience sometimes it can bring me to tears it's just 
it's been so healing for me um, to be on my journey of running ever since I physically was able to get back to it. So I think running has so many benefits, primal stress for sure release. And also just that connecting with self since you're out there running by yourself or with others too. I am in a running group and I love my running group and just what a great way to connect over that shared um, interest and experience. Yeah. I, that's something I haven't done before. I, I, I started, I took up running after I, um, it was, it was last year I injured my back and, um, I needed to, it was kind of a wake up call in and of itself that I needed to be more serious about my, uh, you know, physical exercise and stuff. And so I started running and at first it was just something I, you know, it's, oh, it's running. I'm, I'm going to hate that. I'm going to absolutely loathe that. But like doing it is like, it's literally just like this whole other high that is just, I don't know. It's, I love it. I I'm some probably obsessed with it now, but I haven't tried doing it with like a group of people or finding a group. So that's something that I think would be cool. I'll have to, I'll oh, have you to do that. Definitely look into it. I found it this year after I felt safe enough, you know, like to get back out into the world mm-hmm. with COVID. And it has been one of the richest connections I've built in years um, with this group of like middle-aged women and we go running and we are so happy and love running together. And I actually, mm-hmm run faster and longer when I'm with them versus with myself. So I always prefer to go with them if I can. If you had a favorite interview point or thoughts about Ashley's book, you can share that with me either in the comments on Substack or over on my Twitter. My handle is at Ashleman. That's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. A huge thank you to Ashley for taking the time to come on the show and share some incredible and valuable insights. Her energy and ideas are contagious. It was truly, truly a pleasure to have her on. Ashley's new book, Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel, releases on December 7th. Remember, the best way to support this show is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know. The links to everything, including where you can pre-order Ashley's book, can be found in the description of this episode. I hope you have an awesome week. I'm Christian, this is Bed Letter, and I'll see you next time.